Let us pray. Most loving and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to hear your voice. Lord, may your word be spoken and your word received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In today's Gospel, we hear of the encounter that Jesus has with the rich young man. And in his response, we learn about ourselves, about the kingdom of God, about what we need from Jesus. And we hear this man approach Jesus to ask a question and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins his response by saying, Well, why do you call me good? And I wonder if he's saying, Well, why are you buttering me up for, for your question? You know, just ask your, your question. But he's, he, he's uh, very sweet to Jesus. Well, good teacher. And he asks a question that we've probably all asked at one point. Well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's an interesting question because he begins with focusing on himself and what he's going to do. And in the same time, he's asking about inheriting something. And last time I checked, nobody does anything to inherit. It's bequested to them on behalf of the giver. You can't do anything to get an inheritance. The person giving it to you has to send it to you. I mean, that, that's how it works. So even in his question, on the one hand, he's focused on himself, uh, but you don't do anything to inherit. And Jesus says to him in his quest about, well, what do I have to do? Well, you know the commandments. And he rattles them off, and he is able to say, well, teacher, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Well, he probably gets extra credit for that because he's, you know, he's already got 100 on the score and, and I don't know about uh, you, but I find that hard. So uh, he's already doing better than a lot of people perhaps. He's nailed it, so he thinks. I've done everything. And then we're told Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I think that's an important sentence because it doesn't say Jesus looked at him and was disgusted. Jesus looked at him and shook his head and chastised him and berated him and criticized him. None of those things. Jesus looks at him and loves him. And so the response that Jesus gives next flows out of seeing him and loving him. And he says, well, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And we may think that we're sort of off the hook and we say, phew, well, I don't have much money so he's not talking to me. Just that rich guy. But I think if we're honest about our walk with Jesus, what we find is no matter how much we think we've nailed it, if we honestly spend time with Jesus, 
we will find out that there is still one thing we lack. Because no matter how many steps we take with Jesus, there's always another step we can take. That's the life of discipleship. And it's not meant to be a criticism or a discouraging statement, but that's the reality of life with Jesus. Day by day, we go with Jesus, and the more we draw closer to Jesus, the more we realize how much further we have to go to be transformed into His image and likeness, to completely allow Him to, to change and transform us. And so there's always at least one thing we lack. And this guy is told what that one thing is, and he could have went away rejoicing that Jesus identified the one thing he lacked. But rather, he leaves somber and discouraged because he had great wealth. And again, lest we're tempted uh, to say, well, that's not me, so the story has nothing to do with me, we could insert any number of things that Jesus could have said, one thing you lack, and then fill in perhaps the thing that you don't want God to change in your life that you don't really want to give up or don't really want to do. And that could be Jesus' statement of one thing you lack. And then he would call us to surrender that. Because what Jesus is really getting at are those idols in our lives by which they have taken the place that God rightly deserves. And that in order to be drawn more into God's presence, to be changed into the image of Jesus, we have to let those go. Then we hear Jesus say, well, how hard it will be for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are confused about this. And Jesus says to them, well, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And he gives this image that we can probably all understand because it's usually hard enough for the thread to go through the eye of a needle, let alone the camel. And we're, we're meant to see, well, this is impossible. There's no way you're going to put a camel through the eye of a needle. We're meant to understand that. And the disciples then are amazed and they say, well, if that's the case, who can be saved? And now we're getting to the point that Jesus wants us to understand. Because it's all, what they're really saying is, well, how are we going to do these things? That's an impossible task for us to do. And Jesus is going to help us to understand, well, it's not about us. Because what's his answer? He doesn't say, well, you better get working on that and try really hard and figure out how you're supposed to do this impossible thing. He says, no, well, with you, with human beings, this is impossible. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. That Jesus is meaning for the disciples and for us to understand is that the only way we receive this inheritance is through God. The only way that we can enter the kingdom of God is through the work of God. There's no way for us to do it. It's impossible for us. It happens only in and through Jesus Christ. And then Peter, of course, has a follow-up question. And he says, well, we've left everything to follow you. In other words, he's trying to say, well, what more do you want, Jesus? Clearly, we've given up everything. If this is all we're talking about here is possessions. 
And Jesus says, well, I tell you the truth. No one who has left their home or their family or their field or money, whatever it may be for the sake of the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times. In other words, he's trying to say, Peter, the reward will be great. Following me is worth it. It's worth everything that you see right now as a sacrifice because you'll receive far beyond your imagination. It will be yours. He promises that. The inheritance that Jesus will give us. And then he ends with a statement that again is meant to help us understand what the kingdom of God looks like. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And we should hopefully scratch our heads and say, well, well, how can that be? Last time I checked, the first were first, and the last were last. I mean, we can do math. We can watch a clock. We, you know, we understand these things. And again, we're meant to see from a human perspective, it makes no sense. But the kingdom of God is really turned upside down from our human understanding. And so in our, in our minds, well, the first should be first. Because we're first. That's how it should work. But in Christ, somehow, even the last will be first. In the kingdom of God, things are different. We know Jesus says it's the, it's the servant of all who will, who will be the greatest. All of these things that turn in God's kingdom that are not perhaps the way we see them naturally around us. And those things happen only in and through Christ. And they're meant to be statements of hope that we understand in following Jesus there's inheritance far greater than we can understand. And that in following Jesus, while there may be a sacrifice in the here and now, the reward will be far greater. And in the here and now, when things seem impossible, that with God all things are possible. And thanks be to God, the good news of the gospel is not about what we need to do. Because this whole story is about whether well, you can't do it. You can't do it. But God does it for us. And then we receive it as an inheritance. And then He calls us into a life of freedom and peace, won by the grace and mercy and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. That's the Christian journey. That's freedom. That's new life. If Jesus just said, well, here's ten more things, go and nail these and you'll, you'll get it, we always just have to toil harder. We always just strive in our own strength. But we need to hear and be at peace with the fact that Jesus says, you can't do it and it's okay. And I will raise you up. And I will do it for you. And you will receive as an inheritance the fullness of life that I have won for you. So let us come then to Jesus with a grateful heart, thanking Him day in and day out for what He's done for us, that He has done what we could never do, that He has set us free, and that with God all things are possible. And may we trust that the life that God has won for us, it will be worth it. No matter the sacrifice now, no matter the cost now, but the life eternal won for us through Christ will be worth it. And may the Holy Spirit then empower us to stick with Jesus on the journey and put our trust in his promise that the inheritance will be ours. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for the work that you've done on our behalf. 
We pray that the Holy Spirit may lead us day by day, that we would be continued to be formed into your image and likeness, that you would remove from us anything that is not of you, and that with joyful hearts we may respond in whatever way is necessary to follow you, trusting in your love for us, trusting in your goodness, and trusting in the inheritance and life that you have won for us is far greater than anything that we might leave behind. May our lives be lived to your honor and glory. And Jesus, we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.